Welcome back to the Chris Gates Fitness Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Brand new episode for today, and I'm super excited to dive into it. Yet again, another Q&A. I keep getting awesome questions, uh, both from the people that I work with, my clients, uh, and folks on social media. So uh, thank you to everybody that submitted questions for this episode. And uh, before we dive into it, I'll give you a rundown on what we're going to answer, what I'm going to answer in today's episode. Um, and uh, then we'll get right to it. So questions for today. Uh, number one, does the timing of my protein matter? So is it better eaten at specific meals or in specific time periods? Like what's the best time to eat protein throughout the day? We're going to answer that. Question number two, what is a false grip for lifting and when should you use it? So this is kind of a, a detailed question, but it's into the details of how to lift and maybe how to maximize doing specific types of exercises based on the grip that you use. Love that question, and we're going to answer that one today as well. Question number three, how long should your rest periods be for high rep sets? So we're talking about sets that go to 20 reps, 25 reps, or 30 30 reps, you know, those really high end rep ranges. How long should you be resting in between sets? Question number four suggestions on how to make lightweight feel heavier. This kind of uh, combines with the previous question because normally, if you're doing high rep sets, you're probably using lightweight. So, what are some ways that you can make that lightweight feel heavier? Um, on this question, the person said, I have dumbbells that go up to 50 pounds. So uh, we'll answer that. And question number five, uh, why did my weight go up two pounds out of nowhere? I feel like I get one of these every week and it's uh, good to dive into the details and explain weight changes, why they happen, what is probably causing the things that you see on the scale. So we'll answer that as well. Uh, before we dive in real quick, you know, this is one I forget to mention all the time, but I should mention it all the time is um, wherever you're listening to this episode, whether it be, you know, Apple Music, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audible, uh, Google Play, the podcast is everywhere. So wherever you're listening to it, if you could take two minutes right now, probably won't even take that long, leave a five-star rating in a review if you found this episode helpful. That would really, really help me uh, get the podcast in front of more people. Not sure uh, how much you pay attention to stuff like this, but oftentimes when you see recommended podcasts in whatever app that you use, that recommendation pops up there in part because a lot of people had good things to say about that podcast. Um, so for me, it's really helpful if you can take a couple seconds to do that. It will help the podcast reach more people and then help me, you know, fulfill the one of the goals for this podcast, which is to reach as many people as possible with the right information so that you can make lasting and sustainable change. So if you can do that, I would really appreciate it. Also, I'm a coach. You probably know that by now, but if you're a new listener, um, I work with people all over the world, build muscle, burn fat, develop healthy lifestyle habits, and uh, you can learn more about what I do and the people that I work with on my website, chrisgatesfitness.com. There will be a link in the show notes to my coaching page. So uh, you can check that out if you want to learn more. But all right, let's dive into the questions for today. We'll start with question number one. Does the timing of my protein matter? And, um, you know, it, it, it really does. Uh, it, it may not be as dire or crucial as you've been led to believe, but protein timing does matter for virtually any type of goal. And that could be to build muscle, build strength, uh, lose body fat, whatever you want to do. 
eating protein is important, right? Because protein is going to help us to build muscle. It's going to help your body recover. And so even if you're in a fat loss phase, it's going to help you preserve as much muscle as uh, you possibly can. And that helps obviously boost your metabolism. It can make fat loss easier. Uh, There are so many reasons why protein intake is important, regardless of your health or fitness goal. Um, And the timing of it can play a role. Now, what I want to dispel before I go into the details of this is there has always been this concept of something called an anabolic window. And uh, that is something that actually is not true, has been disproven over the years, but uh, depending how far back your fitness experience or your fitness life goes, you may remember hearing about the anabolic window, which was based off of a few studies that said, uh, you know, people that had protein, protein supplements, so shakes, you know, within 30 minutes after a workout saw greater muscle gains uh, than people who didn't. So people took it as, okay, well, there's this window of time after a workout where you have to consume protein because that's going to maximize the amount of adaptations you can make from the training session that you just completed. And that was music to the ears of supplement companies because that made their supplements, their whey protein, their casein protein, whatever type of protein you take, it made their supplements seem almost necessary for you to build muscle. Over time, we found out that that's not necessarily the case. People that consume protein uh, within 30 minutes after a workout just tend to be the type of people that have high protein throughout the day, every single day. And that tends to be what matters is having high protein on a daily basis consistently for an extended period of time. That's what's going to lead you to see the most progress. Now, What I will say is you should kind of view your protein intake um, based on a, a few factors. And I often give these three times of day as the best times of day to have protein while also understanding that having protein consistently throughout the day is what would be considered most optimal. But at the end of the day, as long as you're hitting whatever your goal is for protein, if it's 100 grams, if it's 150 grams, 180, really whatever your protein goal is, as long as you hit that on a daily basis, that's going to be the most impactful. But I do always tell people, okay, first and foremost, um, you know, if you can get a decent amount of protein in with your breakfast, that's probably going to be a great place to start. Um, you know, having high protein with your breakfast probably means you ate a pretty nutritious breakfast to start the day. That typically gets your day off on the right foot and can lead to other healthy choices throughout the day. I don't know about you, but I know if I start my day making healthy choices, then that kind of snowballs into making healthier choices throughout the rest of that day. It sets the tone. Um, so that's a benefit of having it with your breakfast. But also, if you think about breakfast, it's called breakfast because you're breaking a fast. You've just been asleep for hopefully seven to nine hours. That's the recommended window. Um, and during that time when you've been sleeping, you have not been digesting anything, right? There's been no nutrients coming into your system. And obviously there's been no protein coming into your system. So if you can get some protein in to start the day, it's going to immediately give your body uh, some of what it wants and needs to continue helping your body to adapt in the ways that you want it to adapt. So breakfast is a really good place to start. And, you know, I was, I actually just had a conversation with a client this past week where he said, you know, normally what I do is I train uh, first thing in the morning. So I train on an empty stomach and he asked me, okay, is, 
is the timing of my protein important? Should I have one in that first meal after I train? And so I said, yeah, absolutely. If you haven't had protein to start the day and then you train, your body's really going to want that. It's really going to need that. So that protein, that meal, that post-workout meal, whatever it looks like, might be one of the most important meals of the day for that individual person. So that would be number two is finding out, okay, where is your workout throughout the day and how does that workout fall in line with the rest of the meals you have throughout the day? A good rule of thumb is to kind of almost break your day into four hour windows of time. And so if you have a meal and then in the four hours after that meal, you go into the gym and train, and obviously we want that meal to have a decent amount of protein. So if you have a high protein meal and then, you know, one to two hours after that meal, you go into the gym and train, um, after your workout, it's probably not that dire of a situation for you to then have to slam protein right after you finish training. I mean, you can if you want, um, but really, you know, since you had a high protein meal, within a close proximity to your workout, uh, you probably have a lot of, you know, those, the proteins floating around in your bloodstream that your body can utilize and you can, you know, just get another high protein meal in after your workout when it works for you. Now, do you want to wait four hours after your workout to eat protein? No, probably not. But again, like thinking about it in four hour windows, if you hit a workout an hour after you eat a high protein meal, you probably have you know, a couple hour window there where you can just get a meal in at some point during that time and everything's going to be fine. Um, and then the last one, the third one that I recommend to almost everybody is dinner. Let's make sure we're getting a high protein dinner in because to go back to what we started with, I said, okay, you're breaking a fast at the beginning of the day because you were sleeping. Well, for dinner, you're about to go to sleep, you know, within a couple hours after having your dinner. So if you can get a high protein meal in with your dinner, um, you're going to give your body a lot of protein that it can utilize while you're sleeping and it can utilize that for recovery, repair, growth, whatever, you know, you're trying to do. Um, so those are the three scenarios. And that kind of, I think probably should help you understand how to map out the timing of your protein throughout the day, whatever your protein goal is, if you can consistently have, you know, dosages of protein throughout the day, that's optimal. But at the end of the day, as long as you're hitting your protein goal, that's what's going to be most impactful. And what I just outlined are some scenarios that would help you understand whether or not the timing of your protein matters more or matters less. So hopefully you found that helpful. Question number two, what is a false grip for lifting and when should you use it? A uh, really interesting question uh, that I got from one of my clients over the past week, uh, because the situation we were dealing with was uh, a little bit of elbow tightness and a little bit of struggling to feel uh, this person's back muscles be engaged in different types of exercises where we're specifically training the back. Um, and so we talked about using a false grip. And if you don't know what a false grip is, um, if you're watching here, I'm going to show you on the video and these videos go up on my YouTube. So uh, make sure you, you check it out if you want to watch this more. Um, but I'll explain it as best as I can for, for you if you're just listening on audio. 
Um, but normally you take a grip with a full fist, right? And your thumb, you know, with whatever handle you're using, if it's a, you know, like a handle attachment for doing something on a cable machine, uh, if it's a lap pull down, you're holding onto a bar. If it's a dumbbell, you're holding onto the handle. You normally grip it with a full grip, right? And your thumb wraps around the handle. So you have your four fingers over top of the handle and your thumb wraps around the other side of it. What a false grip is, is taking your thumb out of the equation. So your thumb is not wrapping up under the handle. It is actually off of the handle to the side next to your index finger. So what you would basically be doing is perform exercises by still gripping whatever attachment you're using, but you're really just using your top four fingers to hold on to that handle. Um, and, and it essentially turns your hand into a hook. So your four fingers are a hook and you're using them to grip the handle. Now, some people will use a false grip to do pressing exercises. And that is something that I would highly recommend against you doing. So I do not recommend you using a false grip, a thumbless grip for something like a bench press or a shoulder press. Uh, I really would highly recommend against doing that because when you are pressing weight up above your body or in front of your body, um, you're underneath that weight, right? So there's already the danger of the weight coming crashing back down on you in some way, which is, you know, there's a level of risk that you take when you lift weights. But then when you take your thumb out of the equation and use a false grip, then you know, that's something that actually closed your grip around whatever you're pressing. So if you're taking that out, all it takes is a dumbbell or a barbell to roll a little bit and it could roll out of your hand and come crashing down on you and you could get seriously hurt. So I would highly recommend against using a false grip for any type of pressing exercises. But you can use a false grip for a lot of pulling exercises. So Things like seated rows, uh, lat pull downs, uh, different types of you know one arm rows that you could be doing. You could do that with a false grip, and I've actually found for myself and for people that I work with, found that to one take a lot of the pressure off of your forearm and 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 a lot of the tension out of your bicep, uh, because you know when you wrap your thumb around that handle, you'd be surprised how much just that one finger, your thumb activates everything in your forearm and really pulls your bicep into performing the exercise. It's pretty significant. So if you take your thumb out of the equation um, for back exercises, which is you know when you're doing rows or pull downs, uh, you're trying to target the back, it'll take your forearm, it'll take your bicep significantly out of the exercise, which means the muscles in your forearms and in your biceps will be less involved which is going to transfer a lot more of the weight onto your back muscles. And it can actually help you feel your back muscles more while you're performing the exercise. And at the same time, um, by, you know, turning off your forearm and turning off your bicep, it can alleviate some of that soreness you may feel in your forearm or in your elbow when you're doing rowing exercises. So that's what a false grip is. And, and I find false grips to be uh, really beneficial. I use them all the time with different rows uh, just because it helps me feel my back a lot better. Um, and it could be something that if you've never tried it before and if you've struggled to feel your back work or if you'd like to develop a stronger connection with the, your back muscles when you're doing exercises for your back, it's really something that could benefit you. So if you haven't tried it before, I would recommend you give it a try. Start with low 
lower weight, you know, so that you can get used to it. Um, I think you may find that it's pretty darn beneficial. Question number three, how long should your rest periods be for high rep sets? Okay, so we're talking 20 plus reps per set. How long should your rest periods be? Um, and this is you know, it's a pretty, it's an interesting question because I don't think a lot of people do 20 plus rep sets, um, which is actually a reason to maybe try it uh, because your body often gets efficient and acclimated at working in specific rep ranges if you do them long enough. So many people just constantly lift in the eight to 12 rep range and, um, you know, your, your body gets really efficient at that. And you can actually see, uh, your progress jumpstart if you hop into some different rep ranges. So that could even mean, you know, you drop down to doing sets of five to six for a little while, um, and do lower rep ranges, or it could be, okay, Hey, try 12 to 15 or 15 to 20, or maybe even 20 or more reps per set. Uh, typically I cap things at like 30. I think <laughs> once you get to 30 reps per set, it can be pretty grueling. Uh, it's not very fun. And it's also really hard to just maintain your concentration for that long of a period of time. So uh, I wouldn't recommend more than 30, but for these high rep sets, uh, I'll transition my clients into doing high rep sets like this periodically. And um, when this happens, we have to adjust other parts of their program because by nature, when you go to doing that many reps per set, like this question asks, you're going to have to take longer rest periods and that's okay. Generally speaking, I tell a lot of people, hey, start with 60 seconds of rest in between sets. It's a great place for you to start. You can get to get the feel for how your body reacts to the different exercises that you're doing. You'll find out which exercises are more fatiguing and less fatiguing. And then as you move through your program, you can vary your rep ranges based on each exercise. So when you get to doing exercises where you're doing 20 plus reps per set, you're almost going to have to <laughs> bump it up over 60 seconds um, and probably much longer than that, to be honest with you. If you're doing sets of 20 plus reps and you are legitimately challenged in those, I don't mean going through the motions, right? When we're getting to 20, 25, 30 reps per set, by the end of those sets, you are you need to be pushing yourself to a point where like you are, it's grueling. You are really getting close to failure with the weight that you're using. Um, you're probably going to need like 90 seconds to two minutes in between sets, at least. It probably, uh, that's going to be the case. Um, and that's okay because the, the, the reason you take rest periods in between sets is to let your body recover enough so that you could show up to the next set and perform with as good of performance as possible so that you're getting the most out of each and every set that you dive into and perform. Um, so extending your rest periods for high rep sets like that is almost always going to be necessary. You're going to have to do it. And, um, you know, whatever your rest periods are for the lower rep sets. So if you're doing 60 to 90 seconds uh, in between sets for the 8 to 12 rep range, well, then you're all probably going to have to go like 90 seconds to two minutes or two to two and a half minutes. It's, it's, you're going to have to rest quite a bit more and that's okay. Uh, so it's probably a, an adjustment from the norm, um, but that's, but that's good. It's good to get out of your comfort zone and it's good to challenge yourself in different ways. Just make sure you're setting yourself up for success when you challenge yourself in, in these new ways and do such high rep sets. All right, question number four, suggestions on how to feel light, excuse me, suggestions on how to make lightweight feel 
heavier. Uh, I only have dumbbells up to 50 pounds. So this goes in line with what we were just talking about in a way because we were talking about high rep sets. And typically when you're doing high rep sets, you're using lower weight, lighter weight. That's just how it's going to be. If you're doing, um, you know, dumbbell presses uh, for eight to 12 at 70 pounds, you're not going to try to do 20 rep sets with 70 pounds. You're going to drop it down to maybe 50 pounds uh, and try to bang out those higher rep sets. So making lightweight feel heavier is absolutely something that you can do. And uh, to, to, to be honest, I work with a lot of people that have their own home gyms. And when you have your own home gym, uh, it's going to, one of the distinct differences from working out in a public gym is that you're going to be limited on the type of equipment that you have, or even maybe the amount of weight that you have to work with. So um, oftentimes we run into this type of situation where, okay, I have dumbbells that go up to a certain amount of weight, in this case, 50 pounds. When we get to that amount of weight, using that on a regular basis, then we have to start getting more creative with ways to continue to make that weight feel challenging. Otherwise, you're going to get strong enough and then you're not going to be challenging yourself anymore in the gym and you're just going to plateau. So one thing that I like to use, we'll start with this, is long eccentrics. And if you're not familiar with what that means, and the eccentric uh, portion of any exercise is, you could also call it the negative or in most cases, the, the, the way down, <laughs> if you will. So like if you're doing a bicep curl, the concentric is when you're curling the weight up and then the eccentric is when you're lowering the weight back down. For a dumbbell bench press, the concentric is when you're pressing the weight out. And then when you're lowering it back down towards your body under control, that's the eccentric. Um, and for a squat, when you're on the way down, that's the eccentric part of the squat. And then the concentric is when you're standing the weight back up. So another way to think of it is the concentric is when you're contracting your muscle, when you're squeezing your muscle. It's an easy way to remember it. Concentric, contract. Um, and then the eccentric is the other part where you're lengthening your muscle. Um, so long eccentrics are a great way to challenge uh, folks with you know, weight limitations because you, everybody is stronger on the eccentric portion of an exercise. If you think about it, like all those exercises I mentioned with bicep curl, uh, it may be really hard for you to curl a 30 pound dumbbell all the way up. But if somebody with your arm at the top, if somebody put a 30 pound dumbbell in your hand, you could probably lower that under control. You could probably lower a 50 pound one un under control. Um, and that's because your muscle is actually stronger in that eccentric portion of the exercise as opposed to the concentric. Uh, same with a dumbbell chest press. You may only be able to press 30 pound dumbbells up to the top, but if somebody put 50 pound dumbbells in your hands at the top, you could probably lower those back down under control. Same thing. And then squat, any other exercise, that is the case. Um, so what we can do is take the eccentric portion of any of those exercises and just make you do it for a longer duration. So something I'll do with folks is like, um, you know, maybe for that dumbbell bench press, if you get up to 50 pounds and that's easy for you to do, well, then here's what we're going to do. I want you to press the weight up like you normally would, but then on the way back down, I want you to count one, 1,000, two, 1,000, three, 1,000, four, 1,000. We're going to do a four second eccentric on the way back down. And I think you'll find pretty quickly that you're going to be able to do way fewer reps because we've inserted those long eccentrics 
It's going to make that lightweight feel heavier. It's going to make it more difficult and it's going to allow you to get more out of using lighter weight. So if you have a home gym, if you have some weight limitations, that's a great one. Another good one is pauses. So pausing reps at a certain point. Uh, One of those could be like a bicep curl on the way up, curl, and then I want you to squeeze, pause for a second, and then lower the weight back down. Uh, Another one I like to do it with is like a dumbbell lateral raise. You raise the dumbbell out to the side, and then when you get the dumbbell all the way up to the top, I want you to pause there for one second before you lower it back down. Similar to the long eccentrics, that's going to pretty quickly make you realize that you can do a much more limited amount of reps or uh, total work because the pauses, it's only one second, but it really adds up when you're doing that for eight or 10 or 12 reps. Um, so those are really good ones. A third one that I use with my clients who are a bit more advanced with strength training is something called myo reps. And uh, this is, uh, it's an advanced technique, but what it essentially is, is where you do one giant set to start followed by several much smaller, shorter sets with very short rest period in between. So what this could look like is, you know, with those 50 pound dumbbells, you do a set of 20 to 25 uh, on the dumbbell bench press. And then once you're done with that set, you wait 15 to 20 seconds, pick the weights up and then do you know, probably five to seven reps. And you do that two, three, four times. Uh, and, you know, dumbbell bench press might not be the best example because um, it's it's a bit dangerous to to do something at that high of intensity when you're pushing weight up above your body and it could come crashing down on you. Uh, another way I'll do it with uh, clients is with like, you know, like a one-arm lap pull down. We're going to do a giant set where we're going to do 20 reps. Then I want you to wait 15 seconds, do another set. Maybe you bang out five or six, wait 20 seconds, do another set. Maybe you only get four or five, wait 20 seconds, do one more set and you may get three or four. Um, it, what it does is it effectively makes those subsequent sets, uh, immediately start closer to failure than you would if you had a full, I don't know, 90 seconds to two minutes of rest in between sets. If you have that long of rest and you could fully recover, then you're going to have probably 12 to 15 filler reps to make that weight feel challenging enough to where you get close to failure again. So it eliminates all of those filler reps and it makes each subsequent set just start at like I don't know, three to four reps within failure. And so all of the reps that you're doing after that giant set are really highly effective for doing things like building muscle, uh, building strength, you know, stimulating muscle growth and stimulating fat loss. Um, That's a more advanced technique that you can, uh, you know, give a try as well. It's another one that can help make lightweight feel heavier. Fifth and final question here. Why did my weight go up two pounds out of nowhere? I didn't change anything? Great question. I deal with this all the time with the folks that I work with and it's frustrating. It's definitely frustrating to continue to do all the right things and find one day you step on the scale and your weight went up two pounds and it doesn't make any sense. Uh, But it actually does make sense. And uh, I'm going to explain to you why it makes a lot of sense. So here are a number of reasons of why this tends to happen to people. Number one, you have food weight sitting in your system. 
right? So maybe the night before you ate more food later in the day than usual. And so because you did that, you have more food just going through your digestive system. It's sitting in there. You normally don't have more food like that sitting in your system when you wake up in the morning, but because you ate a lot later or you ate more food later in the day, it's in your system and it's reflecting on the scale. That's a really popular one. Popular one. Uh, another one, dietary changes. So you can eat the same amount of calories, but if that day has higher sodium levels than usual or higher carbohydrate levels than usual, or maybe both, um, both of those things can cause your body to retain water. And so if you're retaining water, that water weight is going to be reflected on the scale. It doesn't mean that you gain two pounds of body fat. It just means your body's holding on to a bit more water than it usually would. And honestly, it's not a bad thing. It's actually perfectly normal for your body to hold on to water weight when it's supposed to. So uh, dietary changes uh, are a big one. And, and sometimes those dietary changes are hard to pay attention to. Like who's tracking the, the amount of milligrams of sodium that they eat every day? Pretty much nobody. So it happens. It really happens. Um, on that theme of water retention, you know, if you've had uh, high stress days or if you've had, um, you know, bad sleep, uh, if you've been traveling, if you've been doing anything like that, those types of things can cause hormonal shifts that can cause a little bit more water retention. And once again, that can show itself on the scale. It is not body fat. Uh, it is just your body holding on to water. So with all these things, hopefully you can see that like almost never, if you, from one day to the next, see your weight go up multiple pounds on the scale, it is 99% of the time, almost never that you're gaining body fat or on the plus side, it's almost never that you gained a bunch of muscle. Both of those things, gaining fat or gaining muscle, take a really long time. And so on the flip side, if you step on the scale tomorrow and you're down two pounds, you also very likely did not lose two pounds of body fat. You probably lost water weight or something like that or food weight. Um, it's almost never fat or muscle in those small instances, those micro instances of like weight fluctuates up or down a few pounds on a daily basis. It's almost always some form of water weight or food weight. Um, the longer term changes where we're looking at over the course of weeks or months where you see body weight going up or down, those are the ones that are indicative of gaining body fat, losing body fat, gaining muscle, losing muscle, whatever the case may be. So uh, that's why your weight went up two pounds out of nowhere. You're probably uh, retaining water or you need to go to the bathroom, <laughs> to be quite, quite honest with you. Those are the reasons why. So I uh, hope that's helpful. And I hope you found this podcast episode helpful as well. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really do appreciate it. And um, make sure you are subscribed, okay? Make sure you're subscribed. And, and again, if you can leave a rating or review, I would really appreciate it. But uh, if nothing else, I appreciate you tuning in and listening and I look forward to talking to you on the podcast again next week. So until then, have a great day and I will talk to you soon.